Pelvic Posse, and welcome to the Empower Your Pelvis podcast. It's Amanda and Morgan. We have helped thousands of people with pelvic floor issues, and it's totally our jam. Here you can listen to expert interviews encompassing all things related to pelvic health. That is pee, poop, sex, and everything in between. You have a pelvic floor. Yes, you. We all do. And it's time to start talking about issues that may arise, but more importantly, how to improve them. We are so glad you are here to join us. Now let's head into this week's episode of the Empower Your Pelvis podcast. Hey, Pelvic Posse. This episode is sponsored by the Spark It Up in the Bedroom Challenge. If you are dealing with pain with intercourse, yes, that's a thing. I can tell you that's a thing because I dealt with that in my early 20s. Then this five-day challenge is for you. Over the course of the five days, you will learn all the things to improve pain with intercourse. So you can go from Netflix and with your partner to Netflix and chill. Speaking of partner, bring them along and they can watch the Zoom calls with you and learn all the things. Now let's get back to today's episode. Hey guys, we are going to chat with Miss Sarah Brock today. She is our lactation consultant here at Empower Your Pelvis. We will go over all things pelvic floor, lactation, why they should be together. And I just think Sarah's a really great lady. If you're not following her already, you should. So she's going to pop up on here. Hopefully in a second. Hey, Sarah. Hey, how are you doing, Amanda? (laughs) I'm good. How are you? Fabulous. Awesome. What's your day been like today? Been pretty busy? Yeah, it has been pretty busy. So a full day for me usually looks like three or four appointments because uh, my appointments are usually 90 minutes long. That's a long time. Yeah. So between meeting with people and then charting and making sure they have everything they need. Um, and you know, being a mom and a small business owner, it's crazy as it is. We got to make sure we make time for everyone, right? <laughs> yes. So Sarah, you are a lactation consultant. Yes. You have space within our Empower Your Pelvis facility. I do. Tell us what all you do here. Yeah. So I, um, like you said, I'm a lactation consultant and IBCLC, which stands for International Board Certified Lactation Consultant. So this that is a is, mouthful. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> it is. So it's a distinction that I have worked toward for about four and a half years. It was actually a career change that I made. Um, I actually have a degree in communications in Spanish. And so when my Amazing. oldest was born, <laughs> when my oldest was born about five years ago, we had tons of issues breastfeeding. Um, and I was able to hook up with some people locally that were, that were helpful in me for me and, um, being successful in my journey. And I just became super passionate about it. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I love this. I want to be able to help other moms and families and parents with breastfeeding. So here I am like five years later doing, doing the thing. So, yeah. So I help parents, um, from the prenatal stage all the way through weaning. It doesn't matter what they need help with. If they are feeding breast milk, in any way, shape, or form, whether full breast milk, so exclusive breastfeed, as we say, or combination feeding with formula and breast milk, um, or needing to wean, whatever they're doing, or they're pumping, I can help them. I love that. I, you are like what I wish I would have had <laughs> seven years ago, because after we had our first, like, I, I say this, and I, I hope this isn't, I don't want to mean this the wrong way, but like breastfeeding is the most unnatural, natural thing that has ever happened to me. Yeah. Um, I just couldn't get it. 
couldn't get, I didn't feel comfortable with it. I felt like I had no idea what to do. And I took a class Mm -hmm. on pre for pregnancy, pre baby. Yeah. Um, Thank God I had my spouse with me because I didn't remember a damn thing (laughs) and trying to get that baby. I almost called him a sucker. Trying to get him to suck, (laughs) to latch was, it was awful because I, I couldn't remember anything. So when you hold, cause I know you talk to our um, patients and your clients pre during pregnancy before they have baby, do you recommend them to bring their partners in or to have a second set of eyes? 110% for sure. Actually, one of my clients this morning, um, she did a prenatal course with me uh, months ago before she had her baby and her husband was there and I was asking her about that. And I said, Hey, was it helpful to have him there? Are you glad that he was there? You know, and did prenatal education help her help you? And she was like, Oh my gosh, that put me so far ahead from what I um, would have known in the hospital. So I knew more what to expect about like what, uh, how to know that baby was getting enough and what to expect in terms of milk production and all that jazz. And she actually told me that um, her husband like was spouting off all of this information at one of their baby showers and she was so proud and I was amazing I'm pretty proud that's incredible (laughs) like it but you're right like the second set of ears um whenever you're going through all of this is so 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 valuable because that pregnancy brain is real (laughs) absolutely and I felt like such a deer in the headlights like oh my god I ended up with a c-section and now I am like freak I don't know what I'm supposed to do (laughs) And then now I got to breastfeed this thing. Like I was all over the place of just like complete confusion Uh for like the first month and we'll go first year for sure. Yeah. Um, And then with my first one too, we had such intolerances, I would say Mm -hmm. like such issues with breast milk um, that it would have been very nice to have you to call on for help too. Cause then I'm like texting people who have had children, like, what do I do? Why is he vomiting or like spitting up across the room? Projectile spitting up like four feet. Like what babies are like exorcists here? I had never experienced (laughs) any of that. Um, Do you have like clients that come in and have similar situations with that? Yeah, I do. And you know, it's, it's interesting because without, with um, talking about like allergies and breast milk, um, a common one that people cut out often is dairy. Sometimes it's the culprit, sometimes it's not, but I think that's partly why it's really important to meet with an IBCLC to suss that out because sometimes um, what can appear to be because of maybe something the mom might be eating, which is um, not super, super common in terms of like, I don't think every single mom needs to have that on her radar or like expect that that's going to happen. But what can maybe, what, what can maybe come across as food? Sometimes it's just too much air being taken in by the baby and it's just an inadequate latch or something going on with the baby's tongue that they're not, you know, they're just not making a full seal at the breast. Um, and then the other thing too, is that I know even since you had your oldest, we have come leaps and bounds ahead in terms of like learning about allergies and breast milk and like how long it stays in breast milk and all of those things. There's so many myths and so much new research that's coming out. That's really cool to see. So I refer to that a lot. I'm not the expert on it, but I refer, you know, and try to keep learning and keep growing my knowledge so that I can best help my clients. I mean, the stuff that we hear you talk about with clients or that moms come in and you're like, what kind of contraption is that? Like, I wish I had that breast pump. I was like putting the breast pump in the passenger seat, 
stuck in that, you know, connecting everything <laughs> while I'm driving, praying nobody would drive by or get stopped at a stoplight. People see now you have these fancy little things that like fit in people's bras and can yep. suck all the milk out. I know. Um, when moms come in or are wanting or maybe asking about certain pumps, can you give us some ideas on recommendations or, cause I know what used to be out there was like Medela mm-hmm. and then the S2, the blue one, whatever. The, that one the Spectra. Yeah. Spectra. Yes. I had that so, with my third. Yeah. So, uh, the Medela is a big player on the lack in the lactation world. Um, and a lot of moms just kind of, that was their go-to for a really, really long time. I had a good strong suction with right, it. Right, yeah. I had felt a like it was like ripping my nipple off. <laughs> right. <laughs> I know. I had a Medela with my first and it was fine. And then I learned about the Spectra and I was like, wow, that pump is powerful. So it really depends on what a mom has available in her insurance. You know, sometimes you can yeah. pay a little bit extra and get a certain pump. Sometimes only certain pumps are available. So I like to, I I mean, I have my favorites and the ones that I prefer, but not every mom's going to be able to do that. So I like to focus on what do you have? What can we do with what you have? Let's make sure that flange fits well. Let's make sure that you are removing milk um, often enough to be able to actually, you know, produce milk. Um, And then if we figure out or we think that really that pump isn't what you need, then here's some recommendations to go get something that would be better. You know, sometimes um, you can find them cheaper or maybe a friend had one that they used for two seconds and they give it to you. You know, there's all sorts of ideas that we can do. I was a huge fan of paying like the if it was a small fee paying the extra amount of money with insurance to get the uh, battery operated one that didn't have to be plugged in. Yeah. Because we were, we're such a go-go family. We've got three kids that I didn't know where I was going to be, where I wouldn't have a plug and need to pump. And maybe that was the bathroom stall. Maybe that's, you know, not the nicest place, but at least I had something on the go or an airplane that I could have that option. And I really liked that. But even sharing, like you said, like, you know, replace a couple of the items with your friend's pump and be able to have that smaller option or a second option available, I think is key. Yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe what's like the top question that people come with when they Uh, see you in the office? uh, Nipple pain is a big one. Um, So there's this myth that breastfeeding is going to hurt at the beginning. And it's just a lie. Like you don't need to toughen up your nipples. Um, People do that. Yeah. That still is something that is being passed down. What is like toughening up the nipples? Is that like like with a washcloth. No, like oh. rubbing them with a washcloth. Like that's okay. No, we don't need to do that. Breastfeeding okay. shouldn't hurt. It might, your nipples might be tender the first few days or maybe week as you get used to having a baby on your nipples and breasts all the time, but continued pinchy pain or like cracking and bleeding, which is what I experienced. And people were like, Oh, it's normal. It's normal. Those are not normal. We should not be cracking and bleeding. Like if you just kind of break it down and you think about it, like as a, as a human species, would we have survived this long if women were constantly having their breasts crack and bleed with breastfeeding? They'd be like, oh no, I'm not doing that. That's terrible. Good point. Yeah. So like, no, breast pain, nipple pain is not normal. And so that's one of the biggest things I hear. Um, and then milk supply issues. So sometimes milk supply can be tricky. Um, Mom might have a really good supply at the beginning. And then by the time they see me, something is going on and the baby isn't transferring milk well enough. And then all of a sudden we're like, oh, crap, 
we got to figure out this milk supply and, you know, and get this baby transferring well. So those are probably some of the biggest things I see. And then I, there's also a lot of talk about um, pumping and returning to work. So supporting a lot of pumping and returning to work moms. Let's tackle the first one. Yeah. What do you suggest for women with nipple pain? Cause I, I was given like the prescription stuff after yeah. my kiddos, because I did, I would have one nipple every time that needed a little extra oomph to pump yeah. it up. Or I would have like shark baby attacks on my boob. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. So the number one thing that we try is positioning and latch. So like deepening that latch. So I always tell moms that my, my two biggest things are making sure that your baby's looking up when they're latched. So if you think about it, like drinking, drink, yeah, we don't drink a cup like this. We drink a cup that like would be very, very challenging, right? It's very challenging. <laughs> you can't really do it very well. So yeah. you'd like choke. Sure. The baby is looking up and that can be just a tiny, tiny tweak, moving the baby's booty the opposite way of the head. And then making sure that the baby's not drinking with their head, like on the breast this way and the body is facing straight ahead. So like you want them straight up and down on you. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And then sometimes reaching in and pulling that chin down just a little bit can help to widen the latch and they'll, they'll get on and they'll stay on just a little bit better. And it makes the biggest difference in the world. Amazing. Yeah. Um, okay. So mil- what about milk supply? What are some top things that you talk to them about milk supply? So we have to remove more milk to make more milk. So I would rather someone pump for like 10 minutes, five times a day to help increase milk supply than for 30 minutes, three times a day. It's about frequency. We need to make sure that we're frequently removing milk. I always um, talk about how your breasts are kind of like an ice machine. So if you think about an ice machine, when it gets full, that lever goes up and it stops making ice. Your breasts are the same way. When they get full, that signals to our body to slow down making milk. But whenever we empty the ice out or we empty that milk out, that lever goes down and it triggers it to start making more milk or ice. But you get the analogy, right? Love that. Yeah. Yeah. So softer breasts, because they're never fully empty, softer breasts fill faster than full breasts. And a a lot of people are like, well, my breasts aren't full. I don't, you know, I don't have milk. But that's not necessarily the case. Always residual fluid. Yep. Okay. That's amazing. I'm going to never look at an ice maker the same way. (laughs) Rest. Right. (laughs) And then, um, oh gosh, your third one was pumps. Uh, Pumping Pumping and returning to work. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. So like, when should I start pumping and when should I offer a bottle to return to work? So I always tell parents, let's get, if your plan is to put baby to breast or put baby to chest, let's get that well established. So let's wait four weeks if we can, and then pump once a day in the morning when you likely will have the most milk um, to offer a bottle a couple times a week leading up to go back to work. So it really depends on whenever that parent is going back to work. If they're going back at six weeks, my recommendations are a little bit different than um, if they're going back at 12 or, you know, a little bit later. Um, so it really just depends, but the main thing to think about is to do a little bit of pumping beforehand and a little bit of bottle feeding so that your baby gets used to the bottle. You get used to the routine of pumping and then plan ahead and know, like, have I talked to my employer about returning to work and where I'm going to pump? Do I know how long it's going to take me with setup and tear down? You know, usually like 30 minutes is a good time frame to think about. 
Um, do I have a place to pump? How am I going to store my parts? Like all of these things that you, once you really start thinking about it, there's so much going on. And then also knowing social media, especially is terrible about showing like these giant freezer stashes. Yeah. Um, hello, like your baby can drink average intake for a baby is 25 ounces in a day. F like a full 24 hour period. And so you really, depending on how long your shifts are for a 10 hour separation, for example, you only need maximum about 15 ounces because it's about one to one and a half ounces per hour of separation. And so you don't need a hundred ounces in your freezer for the first day you go back to work. Right That's now. No. Yeah. As long as you don't have milk supply issues. I mean, of course there's outliers, but in general, you don't need to feed the freezer. You need to feed the baby. I like that. I wish I would have known that with my third one as well. Cause he was such a, like a snacker that yeah. we never, and then when I was pumping, I, I did this all wrong, but I didn't have enough milk for him. And then he also was a kid who didn't want the bottle. So when I went uh, back to work, I was coming in, I had just opened this clinic. I would come in, see two patients, and then I'd run out, go feed him, come back, run out, come back. Because I was so scared, like, because he wasn't taking the bottle that he wasn't going to eat. Yeah. Um, give me or give us some ideas on when you're having struggles with the baby not taking the bottle when the mom is back to work. What do you suggest with that? Well, I think the first thing we need to remember is that some babies prefer mom. And also, if you have a baby, um, so for example, if I send 15 ounces of milk in a day and that baby's drinking maybe eight. I don't necessarily worry about it if the baby's, baby's having good diaper output and gaining weight. And I also know they're nursing one time in the morning, two times at night, waking two or three times uh, overnight because I'm looking at that milk intake in a 24-hour continuum. Does that okay. make sense? That mom sounds exhausted. <laughs> yes, that mom is Yes, yes. It's, a, it's hard work. Um, and so if a baby's not taking a bottle, there's lots of different tricks we can try. Sometimes it's a different bottle. Um, sometimes we can send, um, a piece of clothing that smells like mom with baby. Um, sometimes whenever babies get older, you can try different, um, actual cups, um, rather than a a bottle. Um, there's also actually open cups that we can use sometimes, which isn't like when you think about feeding a baby, you don't think about anything but a bottle, but there are other options. I mean, you, I'm like this crazy lactation lady that wants to feed a let a smaller kid use an open cup. But I'm like, I mean, if you, if you're right there and you have the right cup, we can figure it out. We can make it work. I like that. Cause with this kid in particular, I'm not going to lie. I had 27 different bottles. I was finding new companies popping up. I was ready to drive to Oklahoma city to go get this bottle that they were not shipping out for like two weeks. And I was like, I will drive to you to come get this bottle just to see if my baby will take it. Cause it looks and feels like a breast. And my husband was like, would you just slow down a little bit? Like, <laughs> it's going to be okay. Um, but I was so desperate. And yeah. having just someone like you to be like the calming voice of reason would have been a godsend. Yeah. Um, with that, let's say moms are struggling. Maybe they're struggling back to work. Um, they're feeling that guilt, wondering if maybe the breast isn't the right option for mm-hmm. them. How do you coach somebody through like, breast versus formula? Yeah, that's a good question. 
So in all of my intake forms, I have a place for the parent to think about and write down their feeding goals. And I um, always tell parents to make them smart. So that's specific, measurable. Um, I'm going to forget how what it stands for, but basically make it so that you think through it and it is attainable for you. Um, and it's actually something that's not like so lofty that it's going to overwhelm you. So I always go back with those families that are like, I don't know if I can handle pumping at work, but I really don't want to stop breastfeeding. I offer them different um, ideas for their situation. So I think there's this idea in our culture that breastfeeding has to be all or nothing. Like I have to exclusively breastfeed, um, provide all of the breast milk or it's no good. But that's really not the case. I mean, there's so many people that they're like, I cannot get away from my desk at work or I cannot find time to pump, um, but I still want to give breast milk. And I'll be like, okay, well, if you can't do that during the day, it's perfectly fine to offer formula during the day and then to breastfeed when you're with the baby or pump when you're at home. um, If that's what you want to do, you know, if you're only doing bottles and not breast, because your body will adjust. It takes a little bit of time, but your body will adjust. Um, And then I've also heard of moms who are like, I got a lot of milk in the freezer. My kid is, you know, six months old. I have enough to last me another six months. I'm going to be done producing milk. And I'm like, great. That's fantastic. You have a whole, like you, you have a huge freezer stash. That's crazy. If you know, not, not every parent loves breastfeeding or pumping. I mean, um, my own, my, one of my sisters, she was like, yeah, I don't really like breastfeeding, but I did it. Cause I, you know, I knew it was what they needed, but you know, the difference with that is that like, she wanted to be done when the baby was one with that recommendation. And, you know, I'm very different because I breastfed my kids till, you know, I pushed them away finally. But, um, <laughs> so it's, it's all based on what this parent's goals and desires are. That is, yeah. that's my goal to reach your goal. So if you tell me like, I want to do this, I'll say, okay, this is what I think will help you get there. And if that goal changes during the course of our time that we meet together, or you start going down that road and decide that, no, you don't really want to go that way, we shift gears. It's it's all fluid. No pun intended, right? Right. <laughs> I love the takeaway there for me was it doesn't have to be all or nothing, right? Because that's the way my mind worked with each of my kiddos. Like I'm either breastfeeding or we switch to formula. Why did I not merge the two? And I yeah. wish... I wish I would have had that advice before. Um, You are very knowledgeable in tongue ties and lip ties. Yeah. Can you give us a little bit about that? Yeah. So I I know you get a lot. You see a lot of that within. um, Yeah, I see a lot of it. So um, they're very controversial. Um, And as a lactation consultant, I am um, able to assess oral function with how the tongue works Um, and moves in the mouth in terms of breastfeeding. I cannot diagnose a tongue tie, but when I suspect that there might be something going on, um, I will always try conservative management first. So we talk about different exercises. We talk about different positions. Um, Sometimes we can use nipple shields if the parent wants to. I mean, it's all like, there's all these different tools in our toolbox. And then whenever I see that I need to refer out, then I do that. And I refer out to different providers who can help um, diagnose that if we suspect that that's what's going on and then um, obviously take care of treatment. And then there's other providers that help us 
in the interim too. So different body workers that can help with tension in that baby's body, because truly whenever there is a tongue tie, um, releasing it alone won't change anything. Usually you have to do pre and post therapy in order to keep telling the body what you want it to do. Not unlike, uh, for PT, right? I know you have to do like repetition. Um, because when you rewire the system, yeah, exactly. Rewire that system. And so, um, whenever I suspect that there's something going on, that's pretty much how I approach it. And I, and I go a lot based on what the parent wants. Like if they don't want to do, um, anything about it, then we figure out how to manage breastfeeding and, you know, the best that we can. But then if they want to go a different route, then we go that route. It's all about what they, what they want and need. I really like that. Um, our third had the tongue tie lip tie issue and we ended up doing pediatric therapy. So peds physical therapy to learn. And actually we found a lactation consultant as well, where we had to learn tongue exercises. And there were days that I was stretching scar tissue or helping him maneuver his tongue left to right, up and down, um, learning the baby toys that were good for that, like the ball with all the holes or the little banana toothbrush. Yep. And I thought, gosh, this is amazing. And then realizing we had to reconnect the nervous system, left and right, left brain, right brain. And then I'm, I think I'm just fascinated by the reflexes that some of our kiddos miss out but once you release that tongue, it's like the body's like, uh, I don't know how to work. And you have exactly. to retrain that again. Exactly. Um, we have a question from Stevie and wants to know if there's any correlation between birth trauma and nursing issues. Have you seen any of that? Yeah. So that can be a thing. Um, so it, I mean, this kind of runs the gamut. So the first thing, if you think about it, um, sometimes I will see a baby who had a really fast labor. Um, and they came out of that birth canal really, really fast. There is so much force on their head and their Ooh. neck that I cannot tell you how many times that I will see and hear a mom say, oh, my baby feel, feeds really well on this side, but they don't like this side. Well, oftentimes it's because either some way oh, that they were in eyes. utero, yeah, something's going on, or they came out, or maybe the cord was round, uh, around their neck, um, or maybe they also had a really, really long labor. So sometimes that can be an issue. And so that can um, go into tension. Um, And then, you know, of course, different babies who are premature and whatnot have issues. And then don't forget our C-section babies. They're literally being pulled out of the uterus. Like, hello, that hurts. You know, that if you're pulling on limbs and that's messing with your muscles too. Instead of them like coming this way, now you're like getting... Out, of course, like, like, oh, being pulled out. Yep. Yeah. If I don't, if I have a tight muscle, I don't want to go this way and I've got to learn to retrain it. Yeah. Um, So, like, changing positions becomes a very important piece of that. Um, And then again, implementing in maybe baby is being seen to learn to stretch tissue that they can be more comfortable. Exactly. Um, And it becomes this wonderful integrative approach of using our resources of having maybe. Peds physical therapy for the baby. Maybe you're working with the mom and breastfeeding positions with the Peds PT after while they're working on baby, right. and then we're helping the mom with pelvic floor issues or postural positions. Yeah. Um. Here in the clinic, or like when they can knock out pelvic floor exercises while working on these other things. So it becomes right. a really beautiful thing. Yeah, it does, and I think it's so important too 
um, that we see that whole scope. I mean, I know whenever I was a breastfeeding mom the first time around specifically, that's whenever I started having pelvic issues. And I was like, okay, why isn't anyone telling me about this breastfeeding stuff that I'm having going on? And why didn't anyone tell me about pelvic health? I don't get it. Like, this is not fair. <laughs> so I think it's so incredible that we have this opportunity to catch um, women at all different stages, right? And and they're seeing the whole circle of it. And they're seeing, oh, yeah, I'm focused, so focused on this baby, but also, hey, wait, what about me? What about my mm-hmm. own health? And oh, wait, you're telling me that's not normal that I'm peeing my pants or that mm-hmm. I'm having pain with sex? Like, yeah, those things are hard. Right. Because if you're not healthy, how are you going to take care of someone else? Exactly. So once we can get you connecting the dots and feeling like you've got your body under control, learning how to manage, Again, almost the same thing that your baby's going through with, you know, the tight muscles and learning to reconnect the dots. That's exactly what you're doing with the pelvic floor physical therapy too. And then we can always add in another piece of the puzzle too, like with CB from Wild Hope KC, like having the counseling there as an option as this mom is struggling through breastfeeding issues, postpartum anxiety, postpartum depression, so much more. Um, I, this needs to be like a, a pri- number one priority for this mom. If we could all have that in like one package deal for y'all. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Understanding that it's super, super, super important to take care of the mom because so many times, you know, that baby is born. We talk about how, when a baby is born, a mother is born, but in our culture, like we focus on the mom so much when she's pregnant and then the baby comes out and no one really asks about the mom. What the hell? But but without I know right. But without the mom, there's no baby. Like in utero or not. So it's just it's really hard. So yeah, I always make sure that I ask moms how they're doing, and I you know I'm like, how are you doing? No, like really, how are you doing? Because there's resources, and this is normal. And sometimes I share about my own experience with postpartum anxiety, and you know, it's it's just talking about it and normalizing it, and making sure people know that there's help and that they're normal, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And maybe instead of dropping off a casserole, even though that's really kind and we appreciate the food, maybe we could do something else for that mom, like dropping in and being like, hey, I'm going to take baby. You go see lactation. You go see public floor physical therapy or my goodness, go get a massage and do a little self-care or just go upstairs and do some meditation, kind of like, oh pass out, fall asleep, we take control of your body um, or coming in and helping them with things that if we can think that back when we were moms, that might've been really hard on that pelvic floor, like scrubbing the shower. Nobody really likes to do that. It's really hard on the pelvic floor, Um, doing some laundry, anything to really save them and letting them go out for a walk by Uh themselves without pushing a baby or without carrying a baby, but really just letting them have their own thoughts yeah, um, is really smart. So maybe thinking outside yeah. the dots of the casserole drop off gifts and giving them something else. I don't know. Moms really like diapers too. Diapers and wipes <laughs> all the way. Um, but giving them a little, a little idea or a gift card. Yeah. To maybe lactation, public yeah. PT, um, pediatric PT for your baby. Um, yep. Lots of options, guys, to really start thinking in this you know, 2021 and how we can support mom a little bit better, but just yeah. being there for them. Um, I think is really smart. Yeah, I agree. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for hopping on today. We really appreciate it. You are a freaking wealth of knowledge. (laughs) I love it so much. Um, I can't get enough of it. So I'm sure we'll be having you on here again soon. Um, 
gosh, you're ahead of times. So we appreciate you so much. And thank you for helping all of our patients as well. Well, thank you for having me and for welcoming me into your space. I, I just love being able to, you know, kind of co-create this perfect world that we see for new mamas, right? (laughs) It's pretty amazing. It is. All right, hon. We'll have a great day and we'll talk with you soon. All right. Sounds good. I'll see you later. Bye. Bye. Hey, Pelvic Posse, we want to thank you so much for joining us for today's episode of the Empower Your Pelvis podcast. Can we ask you a couple of favors, please? Number one, can you like and subscribe to this podcast so that you will continue to empower your pelvis forever so that you will never miss out? Number two, can you leave us a rating and a review? Tell them how amazing we are and everything that you have learned about your pelvic health. And then number three, if you haven't seen the video version to this podcast, you can go over to youtube.com forward slash C forward slash empower your pelvis for all of our visual learners out there. We have all types of great visuals in there for you to not only listen to, but to watch. Thanks so much again and make sure to give your pelvis some love. Until next time, peace peace out, out pelvic posse. posse.